Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Standout, the podcast brought to you by NAPO, all about growing your business in the organizing profession. My name is Claire Kumar, executive and productivity coach, and your host for today. I'm so excited today to be diving into a really trendy topic of tiny homes. You've heard about it, you've seen them, you've been curious, and why is this happening? Well, I'm really excited to be talking to Trisha Sinan Murray. She's a NAPO member. She's a professional organizer. And she is, how does she describe herself? The space efficiency specialist. She is also a minimalist and a tiny dweller. She's currently based in Denver. And she brings, I love this, an interior design degree to what she does in serving her clients transition from larger spaces to their dream smaller space. And there's a lot that goes into that. So if you are curious about tiny homes or you are interested in serving this market, then you're going to want to pay close attention to what Trisha has to say. Yeah. I also want to let you know, Trisha herself erased 93% of her living space when she downsized from 2,800 square feet to 200 square feet in an RV, not just herself, mind you, with her two children. So we're going to hear from someone who not only understands this world, but has lived it too. So without further ado, let me welcome Trish. Thank you. Hello, Claire. Hello. It's so great to have you here. This has been a topic I've been curious about ever since I backpacked around the world 26 years ago and lived out of a backpack and honestly had the best year of my life. And anytime you go to a hotel, you live with a few things and gee, you're happy. So the concept of living in a tiny space really has a lot of appeal, but I wondered if we could start by understanding What is compelling so many people to choose this as a lifestyle option? I find that the people that I've met and spoken to and worked with, they love the idea of living smaller on the planet, living more sustainably in this ever-changing world. We've had wildfires ravaging Colorado and the West in California this year. A lot more people are becoming more eco-conscious about where they live doing solar on their homes, even not just the tiny dwellings, but that's been important. And I think through COVID, it's helped a lot of people recognize the amount of things that they're surrounded with, and maybe they don't want to deal with that as much anymore. So they're making choices to simplify in whatever capacity, but this, yeah, this is simplifying on a grand scale. And it really excites me because I miss nothing. That's a profound statement right there from your own lived experience. But I just wanted to ask you, because you mentioned COVID and this, we've obviously had a period of greater introspection for a lot of people getting in touch with values. Are you seeing a greater number of people moving to want to make this lifestyle choice now because of the pandemic? Yes, definitely. And I even was on a networking call last night and just had met a woman who 
her and her husband and her family bought a schoolie, which is a school bus to renovate. So I'm seeing it a lot more and it's a lot more prevalent, I guess you'd say here in Colorado, there are many tiny home groups, communities, builders. So it's definitely coming up a lot more on the radar and I'm in the industry. So I'm noticing it a lot more too. Well, that's fascinating. So just touching on that point. So in Colorado, compared to where you used to live, it's more popular. What do you think is driving sort of geographical variances in this appetite? The reason I moved to Colorado was for the mountains. We moved our family here three years ago. And the appeal of being able to get out and just kind of road trip through life almost. I mean, you mentioned backpacking, but I think it's the appeal of having less, being able to get out and and go enjoy what most Coloradans live here for. So I think that's the, but again, out West, and I've met people that have kind of traversed the country with it. Some people are very mobile. Some people just want to have that small space and live light on the planet. So they'll stay stationary, which is what our goal is. Cause once we're in our tiny home this Christmas, then our RV is fully dedicated to go road tripping again. You have the stationary tiny home and the mobile tiny home. That to me sounds like a little slice of heaven right there. Going to be so exciting. Yeah. I'm excited for you. So, um, If we're thinking about organizing and productivity specialists who are thinking about, gee, this is not only intriguing to me, but I'd like to work with this group of people. Why is it important to understand the reasons behind someone's choices to actually move towards this way of living? Okay. I think it's important because once we know what the client's why is, it's very easy to help them do the downsizing process. Like if they want to be able to be more mobile because now they don't have to be in a specific place for work, then we can help them in that vein. If they want to be more able to do the things that they really like and not take care of a house on the weekends or mow the lawn, that sort of thing, it makes a difference. But you can also figure out how, because if you have families or if you have pets or whatever their little reason and who they're doing it for with their family. I mean, that helps figure out all of the different ways that you can go about and serve them and help them do the downsizing. I call it right sizing. Yeah, so do I. So if we understand people's reasons to move in this direction, then we can support them how in practically coming back to that vision, if you will, to guide them through the difficult decisions, getting from, for example, 2,800 square feet to 200 square feet. Is that why we're tuning in so much to what the reason is? Yes, I believe it. Once we can figure out their why, it's easy to help them, whatever their why is for them. Then we can kind of hone in on that. But does it also serve as a bit of a checkpoint to make sure somebody's not falling in love with the idea of something, but not really having enough drive and commitment because it's a big decision to go small. Huge commitment. Yeah. And you really have to be aware. We started going on RV trips to national parks. That's how we got into it and realized, wow, when we travel this way, we don't really need much. We don't miss much. So going home to that large home, it was like, wow, we have all this stuff to take care of and maintain and deal with. We realized that we didn't want to do that anymore. Not just the expense of owning a large home and heating it and cooling it, but just the 
idea and just kind of like the freedom more than anything of not having all that responsibility. Very liberating lightning. Just on that point of the challenge around for some of us letting go, is there a big mindset shift that has to take place? Or what have you noticed with clients that, you know, as a professional, you can help them through so that they're really fully open to embracing as you have this smaller right-sizing? I think with the ones that I've worked with, they're already on board about being excited to live tiny. So maybe they've done some of their own homework. They've visited tiny homes or have done things around that, like some of the things that are suggested that try and live in one room of your house because you're going to even be having less than that space when whatever size tiny you ultimately decide to end up with. But just going through those steps, but I find that they have the mindset because if you don't have a living room and a family room, you don't have as much furniture to downsize. And usually the easier process is deciding most of the time those things are built in when you have just one thing to choose from, it's a lot easier. You'd said a lot of things are built in. And so as I think, I used to live in Japan about 20 years ago, fascinating place where for sure, smaller spaces invited a lot of design elements in terms of efficiency. And we're seeing it now. I think Ikea even has modular furniture that can be shifted in a unit. So it's the kitchen. And then the other side is the bedroom and that things shift and fall. I love that sort of thing. Multi-use. That's a huge thing in tiny home living too, is multi-use things. Exactly. And I mean, we've thought of it as organizers, a storage ottoman is a seat and it's storage and it's a step stool. And we have a few pieces, but this takes it to another level. So can you share a little bit and maybe some examples of things that you've come across where the design is very particular to maximizing the efficiency and effectiveness within a space and where customization is required? This one thing working with my builder, and I see some of it, but it really hit home with me, is that depending on how you design your home, and I designed mine, because again, my background's interior design, so I really want to have a hand in it, but the wheel wells of the trailers sit at certain points of your build. So mine is underneath the refrigerator, which can be lifted up onto a box, but some people choose to lift that entire middle section. And then you have really cool opportunities for pull out storage of long drawers, or some people tuck shoes or clothing, pet supplies in them. So it's really neat to be able to dig in and maximize all of that space that they have. But I've loved people who have had pets, they tuck in a little cabinet, And that's where their litter box lives, that sort of thing, or building instead of walls on your lofts, having plant walls. So you've got some lovely things cascading. You're bringing the outdoors in, in addition to through your windows and doors and placements of those sort of things. It's really, really neat. You're painting beautiful pictures. As far as things that you've seen to custom design, we talked a little bit earlier about inside and also the exterior can be custom designed to hold supplies. Like you still want a snowboard, you still want a bicycle. What happens to these kinds of things? I have a tiny home friend who has done a little micro business and he welds, he welded onto his home bike racks. But what he also did is he made a hammock. So you can put in a trailer hitch and it's a hammock for just the outside of your tiny home. It's so cool. It's novel. So what's coming clear to me is that 
And this is when I was working as an organizer too, thinking about clients and thinking about having them identify their priorities right up front. That vision of where they're trying to go, what's the next step? Do you have a process of working with people so you get to the right design with them? Yes. Sometimes I don't help in the design with them, but I help them down so they can get to it. But with my background, it's kind of fun to be able to say, hey, have you thought about this with people who need all that gear storage that you were saying? They'll need to put kayaks or stand up paddle boards or stuff. So there's access that they can do where they've got outdoor storage and maybe it's underneath their bed on the inside or it's underneath that section of the middle living space where they've raised the floor. But even with just your average, maybe they have, you know, like a little grill or a cute little fire pit that they want to pull out in the summertime and that's got to get tucked away. So yeah, all neat little spots and places that they can put things. And that's kind of my fun challenge with my design background is being able to kind of widget or Tetris all their important things in there. It's a really novel, curious, creative space puzzle. Yeah, Tetris is a great example. I'm wondering, so for organizers thinking about, yeah, this would be a really interesting market to serve, what should they be doing in terms of up-leveling their skills or what should they be curious about and learn about so they can bring inspiring ideas to their clients? The first one that I did when I moved here was I sought out meetup groups that had to do with tiny homes or minimalists or We have one in Colorado called the Colorado Tiny Home Enthusiasts. So any groups like that, that you can become a part of and reach out, kind of get into their world. And then we have a fabulous place here in Colorado. Again, it's called WeCasa and you can literally rent. I think they're up to 18 tiny homes. Is it we like W-E-E Casa? Yes. Yes. Okay. Like little Casa. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Little Casas. And it's so cute. And they even have a friend of mine went this winter. And they even have one where it's kind of like the community house where they have board games. And I don't think they had a pool table, but they had something small. Maybe it was foosball that you could do. So you can have community with the other people who are staying there. But at the very least, check out Airbnb, Verbo. There's so many tiny homes coming up into those markets that you can go and explore and stay in. Because I find that when you stay in that small of a space, then you have an idea of how things need to be. And granted, you don't have all of the things that they would be living with on a regular basis, like a full kitchen or whatever it is for them. But you have an idea of the limited amount of space and the limited things. So really curating down to tiny house living is just your absolute favorites. And that's it. And then we get to live. It's kind of like the fine china thing. Don't wait till special occasions. Use that stuff all the time. And you get to pick fancy furnishings for your tiny home because maybe you only need four feet of countertop. So it can be something glorious and gorgeous or whatever your favorite thing is. Exactly. Just made me start thinking of, okay, when you're more than one person and obviously the space now is very important to everyone. How do you navigate the choices there when it's got to work for a lot of people and there's very limited wall space or limited furnishing options? How do you navigate that piece? I find that if each person, most of the time it's two, sometimes it's with littles or maybe older kids, but as long as each person has their own kind of private space where they can get away, maybe it's their loft and they can slide a door over, or it's this little conversion where this space, the bed goes up and then there's a little desk underneath it. As long as each person has their own space, I think they can cohabitate better because we experienced that during COVID. It was just like, we couldn't escape. 
Well, that was yeah, my next question. With everybody at home now in a much more constrained environment, never mind the big open concept kitchen where you're just you're hoping for a wall. Now you're really almost on top of each other for a long time. Your table becomes the only table. It's food, it's office, it's homework if you have kids like I do, it's puzzles, it's hanging out watching TV with a bowl of popcorn. It's everything. So you just have to think of all the different uses that you're going to have to manage in the same space. So I think clearly space is the one that we think of the most, but out of what you're talking about, there's a whole lot of time organization, family structure, and how a family operates together. There's a lot of the how we exist together questions that have to be part of the design of this experience too. Otherwise, you're going to have some tension, I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah, tension, overlap. But I think having the clear conversations with whomever is going to live in the space and how they function now versus how they function together and just the different uses. Because some people like to cook and they want their largest area to be the kitchen. Other people, maybe they do gaming. So you need to have their larger area is lounge. Or if two people, a lot of times now are working at the same time, they have to have different spaces where they're not hearing each other and disrupting whatever might be going on for them meetings or otherwise. Absolutely. One of the things that's always been very important for me, partially because I'm what you consider highly sensitive person, is always thinking about the environment and designing to the most sensitive. And I'm wondering if that's ever come up in the conversations that you've had in these spaces and if there's any particular challenges around managing visual stimulation or auditory stimulation. Is there anything that's come up for you that's rather special about managing that in the small space? Audible now for sure, since families are home at work, kids might be home with you, clients are more interested in, and some people might like that I say this, but barn doors, which are so in fashion right now, they do not close off audio well at all. So it's almost better to have a pocket door to still save on that space. But yeah, people are more conscious about the needs of that. And lofts are becoming more walled in. I mean, we chose from our design specifically to have the kids have walls and then a slider door so they can still have heat and air conditioning, but they can close off and have private space time or just so they don't have to hear what else is going on. Yeah. Very powerful. I mean, barn doors, there's more spacing around the door and the sound just, I used to work out at a yoga studio and there were doors that closed, but they didn't have any weather stripping or anything. And the weight room was outside. That was not a yoga experience. Listening to a guy drop four or 500 pounds. I don't know if you can see, we just got company in the back there. The cat really wants to be part of our, yeah, part of our, and this is proof of cohabitating, right? There are challenges that come with it. Well, you talked about a cabinet area for litter, for example. Is there anything particular about pets or do people are like, I'm in a tiny coma, I can't have a pet or I can only have a gerbil or what happens with pets in tiny spaces? So it's kind of like their why. We have to design for who's going to be in the space, pets, family, otherwise. And a lot of people are really great about just integrating how they have at home So maybe we make space for a pet bed, or maybe we have, and I've had this where we need to have a drawer for all the pet toys and accessories, you know, the accoutrement that goes along with that. So we figure it out. And a good friend of mine, she has, she's got two spaces behind her sofa where underneath outside, it's their gear and different things like that. But up above, she's got two snakes and 
four children, but some of them like one's other better, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. (laughs) But they make a pet space. Yeah. For two snakes. I had a feeling there would be something interesting if we brought animals into the equation (laughs) for sure. Have you ever had an experience where you're supporting someone moving in this direction and they realize, oh my gosh, there are hurdles that they get to and either they can't get through them or they're really difficult. I wonder if you could share anything about what that looks like and what somebody thinking about supporting this group of people might want to be sensitive to. I think what I've experienced more lately is the combining of households, but not just maybe two new parents new to each other, but things that they've already acquired through family passing. And some of that's challenging because they're not sure what to keep. And as organizers, I think we find this often. But one thing that I've been helping clients with recently is saying, I know you might want to keep it because you might need it somebody someday, but somebody else needs it right now. And that I think is a huge helpful statement for them just to be able to say, okay, I don't need this because I might use it. Let's let it live on with somebody else as a toaster or whatever it may be. So that's been helpful. But as far as in general, I think as they start the process, I feel it needs to be an early start much earlier than you think you should, because it's such a long process, whether you choose to sell your items off to help fund your project, to just slowly chip away at the things that are in your house now, but it definitely takes a long time. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Is this an area where organizers can really bring some resources and support to the process? For example, helping sell clothes on Poshmark, or I mean, one of the biggest challenges for people letting things go is they want to either connect with a source they align with, or they want to get the value back out of it. And whenever you're trying to connect dots, it slows down the process or it takes a little more energy. And what ways have you supported people in that encouragement of letting go or facilitating that piece? One of the things that I developed when I moved here, because I was in a completely different state, was to develop a robust list of places that things could go. One, to keep things out of landfills, because I'm huge into that. It's real important to me. But I felt that when my clients were giving things up and they were willing to give them away, that I wanted the recipients to be people who didn't have to pay for them. So there are some great places here where people can go and take advantage of the resources that we donate and it helps get them on their feet into a first apartment or whatever their situations are, but it just helps them. So once people find that I've got places like that that they can donate to, it's a lot easier for them to let go. And I think as organizers, we found that a lot through our work. They need to know that someone is going to benefit from the things that they're giving away. They're not just going to be tossed into the trash because they're still useful and we want them to, you know, go live on after they've served us. Yeah. So that's a beautiful opportunity to be that connection to those resources. And I found even in Toronto, where I am, we've served as a network for each other. It's like somebody says, I, my client needs to get rid of a piano and it's a big upright piano and they're hard to sell because they're expensive to move and to tune and all of that. So helping connect the dots on those is a really powerful ad that we can make to help people. So I love that. Do you have a story that you'd like to share that you think people will go, well, that's neat. I never thought of that. Or that's a little bit 
off the wall or do you have any anything that's like without compromising any confidentiality of course just something that's a real interesting situation that our listeners would like to hear about nothing that crazy that i can think of i've just had interesting conversations with people about what they want to bring into their home Personally, it's artwork. I'm sending my house around this one neat piece that I have that I think is five by five. But I just love seeing, and it's been my favorite thing since I was little, to be able to go into people's homes and see and help them appoint it or help them put things in certain places that mean a lot to them. That's the part that I love the most. And I remember driving through this one area of town, my mom and I would love to go, and it sounds kind of crazy, but at night, this one area, people didn't have necessarily window treatments or anything. So you can kind of peer in and see like the great colors that they used or wow, that's a cool piece that's there or furniture or whatever. I love that. And in Tokyo, it was so hard because so many windows were frosted or they had the paper. And I was like, this is no fun. Yeah. I want to appreciate what other people have chosen to live with. I get you. So that's my favorite part is to help them just showcase that. Yeah. And honor those special things that they've chosen to put in this space, because every item has to be something that they love. Like the William Morris quote, yes, it's functional and like it has to evoke some heart in there. So, but I feel too, that it's got to be beautiful or important or meaningful because we have such limited spaces and I totally get that. So I love helping them curate and this would look great here. Hey, how about that? That's I think my favorite part. Yeah. What a treat. I wanted to hearken back to something you said at the very beginning. You said, I don't miss anything. Is that true? Like you just, you don't miss any of the physical things that you had. You completely detached from all that. Do you ever hearken back and go, Oh my God, that green sweater. I just actually, I really dig that green sweater now. Or does does that not happen? (laughs) No, nothing physical per se, but I do miss, and I am building into my tiny home, a jet tub. And that was like my must have. My kids wanted a dishwasher. So I got them a drawer dishwasher that's going to live above or below our drawer oven to save space in that 30 inch footprint. But I got to have a jet tub. And my solar gal is figuring out and crunching the numbers to make sure that at least once a week, I can have that jet tub function on my batteries for at least an hour. (laughs) So yeah, that's the only thing I miss. I love it. And that's what this is about. It's about people understanding their why and then coming up with their, this is the must-have list. I actually focus on this word a lot now the pandemic's happened because we have to come back to what I consider is essential. So essentialism, Greg McCowan's book, that whole concept of like, what do you really, really need to have? And I like the word a little bit more than minimalism. And I understand a bit about minimalism, but I like essentialism. I like that too. It's important to us for whatever reason it is. And I think even more so, like you said, during COVID, because we're sitting and looking at this stuff, not on the weekends anymore, all the time. All the time. I think a lot more people are going to recognize. I love essentialism. It's a gorgeous word. My other two words for the pandemic are patience and planning. But essentialism is like an overarching theme to figure out what do you want to spend time and what do you want to put your resources to? So I don't know. I found this fascinating. If people want to dig deeper, I want to leave people with what I call next best steps to do. And I wonder if you have some suggestions for those listening who are interested in either learning more about the whole experience of tiny homes and really thinking about how to serve that population. What would you suggest they do? I 
mentioned it a little earlier, but definitely seek out those groups in your area, see if they have them. And if not, create them. Because I created a group on Facebook for Coloradans who want to legalize tiny homes in our county. So if you don't see it, be it. And definitely check them on Airbnb or Verbo. Go live in a tiny home. I got the treat of living in my friend's when she visited Japan last year, which was super exciting. And it was a little bit bigger than my tiny home. So it was funny. That felt like stretching out. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Right? I know. Hers is 41 feet long. So it's not a tiny, tiny home, but there's six people in it. So yeah, four kids and two adults. I know. She's amazing. <laughs> wow. That's a whole next level of navigating how to live. I'm so impressed. I'm so inspired by the choices that you've made and how you're guiding people on their journey. I just want to thank you for sharing a bit about your story and all your insights. And so I hope that anyone listening who's thinking about serving this community is finding inspiration in that. Look on the website at uh, napopodcast.com and you'll see the links to the things that Trish has talked about, WeCasa and Airbnb and Verbo or VRBO, as I hear some people call it as well. Trisha, if you want to send us more of the links that you mentioned, and maybe even your Facebook group, let us know. And we'll put those in the notes too. If you're interested in exploring more, you can find out really just how to serve this community better. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I hope that everyone listening has been inspired to really embrace the space, no matter what the size of your space is. I think about how to serve this client, if this client base. And if, of course, if it's not your client base, you'll look for NAPO members who are specializing in this group of course, give a referral in that direction. So I want to thank you for listening today. I'm Claire Kumar. This has been the, the latest episode of Standout brought to you, of course, by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. You can find out more about NAPO and what it can do for you and how it helps people all across the world actually get organized and be more productive at napo.net. My cat's here trying to jump up on my lap. Until we meet again, I encourage you to be kind to yourself, especially now, and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more. <laughs>